You're listening to Exploring the Seasons of Life podcast, and this is episode 54. I'm Cindy McMillan, and today's guest is Samantha Hohenschill. Welcome to Exploring the Seasons of Life, a podcast for women with a big heart on a spiritual journey. Each week, join Cindy McMillan as she interviews coaches, spiritual explorers, and celebrants from all walks of life about beginnings, endings, and the messy bits in between. Self-love, well-being, and mindset are at the heart of our conversations because once you change the inside, the outside will begin to change as well. I am delighted to introduce my guest today. Samantha is a non-diet nutritional therapist and master mindset coach, empowering women to break free from the diet mentality and heal their relationship with food and their bodies. After spending nearly two decades stuck in the restrictive binge diet cycle, Samantha has dedicated her life to debunking many popular diet culture and weight loss myths while simultaneously promoting body positivity, gentle plant-based nutrition, and holistic lifestyle habits. Her refreshing non-diet philosophy, which is rooted in evolutionary science, behavioral psychology, and the principles of health at every size approaches health and wellness through sustainable acts of self-care rather than extreme acts of self-control. Welcome to the podcast, Samantha. I am so excited to have you and talk about body positivity and the diet mentality because that is just everywhere in our world. It is. It is. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for this conversation. My favorite question is, what does exploring the seasons of life mean to you personally or in your business? Yeah, so I I love this question. I love the whole premise of your podcast because I think that it's really important that we recognize that life does go through seasons and go through changes, right? I talk about this with my clients all the time, the seasons of your body and the changes of your body, right? We have to understand that as we go through life and we learn new things and we have new experiences, you know, it's about being fluid and and able to kind of roll with the punches and be your best self throughout each stage in life. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to dig into this with you. Oh, thank you so much. And one of the things I definitely want to touch on in our interview today is self-care because mm-hmm. I think that's just so important. Absolutely. But let's start off. What is the diet mentality And how does it negatively affect us? Yeah, so the diet mentality is essentially a mentality that is derived from diet culture. So if we hear the term diet culture, um, I think Christy Harrison said it best. She's a very famous anti-diet dietitian. So diet culture is essentially a system of beliefs that equates thinness and a particular body shape with health and moral virtue, and that it oppresses people who don't match the certain image that we kind of put with that, right, that we tie with that. So the diet mentality is this idea that certain foods are good or, you know, immoral, certain foods are bad or immoral, um, that we are good or bad for participating in certain lifestyle habits or not. And, you know, kind of this idea of intentional weight loss and the pursuit of intentional weight loss as this moral virtue that kind of extends us into a better version of ourselves just because we weigh less, right? So that's the diet mentality. And that's definitely something that I work to abolish in my practice. You know, I will, I will tell you, I can remember probably only being 12 or 13 years old. And back then it was when Twiggy 
mm-hmm. was was a popular model. And I'm just just a child. And I remember being at a friend's house and the mother had a friend over and commenting on my body. And that right there just sets you up for long-term um, yeah. self-doubt when yeah. when an adult talks about your body as a child. Yeah. And not even an adult. You know, I think a lot of us forget um, just how susceptible we are as children for anything that we hear. Um, you know, myself, my own personal story, I was the victim of some bullying from some peers. It was pretty innocent, but it was enough to really dig into my brain and clutch onto these ideas of what I thought I should look like, right? And all these pressures. You mentioned Twiggy. We get a lot of pressures from society and the modeling world, the fashion world especially, which is ever evolving, but always seems to you know, showcase one particular body type over another. Um, the influences are so huge and they do typically happen at a very, very young age. Now, I know you work with intuitive eating, and that really intrigues me. So can you just define what intuitive eating is and how someone could get started in that? Yeah. So intuitive eating is a way of reconnecting with your body's innate hunger and fullness cues and eating based on intuition versus intellect. So we think that when it comes to taking care of our bodies, The more we learn about nutrition, the more we learn about fitness, the more information we shove in our heads, the better. And this is usually not the case. This actually works against us because when you're participating in all of these external food behaviors and rules around food, it really messes up the trust that we're all born with as children. So if you think back to a baby, right? You don't have to tell the baby to cry when it's hungry. It does that itself based on instinct, right? And over time, we kind of forget that. We forget, you know, the same knowledge that a baby has or the same intuition that a baby has where when they're hungry, they cry. When they're not hungry, they stop eating. We don't have to tell them that, right? But over time, we're sent these messages about what to eat, how to eat it, what time to eat it, how much to eat of it. You know, we have the clean plate rule in a lot of people's homes where, you know, our parents are telling us, no, you're not full. You have to finish your food or you have to finish your food before you have dessert. And it's all well intended a lot of times. And even comments that we receive from external people about our body shapes, it all of it just kind of adds up to make us really doubt how our body actually tells us to sustain itself through food. And we forget a lot of times that that's what eating is. Eating is meant to be a biological function that we participate in to keep us alive. Our bodies know how to do that, but we disconnect from that. So intuitive eating is about reconnecting with those signals, honoring not only your hunger and fullness, but your preferences around taste, texture, types of food you're eating, You know, we forget a lot of times that food is meant to be enjoyed and eating is supposed to be a pleasurable experience. The damage of dieting and the repetitiveness of all of the drama that happens with dieting kind of takes that joy away, but it really is meant to be a joyful experience. So intuitive eating helps you get back to that, helps you understand how to nurture your body from a place of self-care, self-love, really respect your body and your own internal blueprint with who you are supposed to be in your body and owning that and being accepting of that and loving of that and nourishing yourself through food, through your food choices without feeling restricted or crazy around food. It's kind of a all-encompassing way of escaping from the diet mentality. You know, I haven't heard it explained that way. And you're absolutely right. Food is meant in 
to be enjoyable. And when you're on that yo-yo cycle, it's hard for food to be enjoyable. Thank yeah. you for, for explaining that. Yeah, there's a lot of guilt and shame that comes with eating, especially people who have histories of chronic dieting. And the more you participate in those behaviors, the deeper those feelings are rooted in you. And it gets to a point where you don't even trust yourself around food, right? And food feels really scary and it's not supposed to. So can you talk about how someone gets started in that? I mean, do they just sit down at the table to eat their dinner, for example, and they just See, I'm even thinking about it in terms of of restriction, you know, about what should they be yeah. eating or does that not matter? Yeah, I th- well, that, I think it's an interesting choice of words, right? You So you said, what should they be eating, right? And the whole point of intuitive eating is that there really isn't a should. It's about whatever you feel is best for you in that time. You know, we understand so much about food and nutrition, but we forget that there are foods that are there that may not be you know, nutritionally dense, but they nourish us in other ways, you know, like our soul foods, right? Like birthday cake or wedding cake or these types of foods that have a lot of really beautiful and joyful um, associations with them. They're not necessarily nourishing us from a physical standpoint. So there's really no should, right? But in terms of getting started with intuitive eating, it's really about getting back to how you perceive food and how you currently perceive it based on all of the external influences you've participated in throughout your life and how you want to perceive it and operating based on that. Because we have to understand that intuitive eating looks different for all of us. Some people are going to eat more than others. Some people are going to eat different types of food than others. It's all very individual. Um, Someone really wants to get started, I'd highly recommend looking up an anti-diet dietitian or a non-diet nutritionist like myself or a nutritional therapist, someone who can really walk you through the stages because it is a very unique uh, way to do it. Unlike dieting, which is this blanketed, everyone follows one big plan, right? That's not the case for intuitive eating. It's very individualized. And when we get a little bit further in, I am going to ask you, you know, for you to please give your your website and all your social media, because I think there's going to be people wanting to touch <laughs> base with you after this please. conversation. I'd love to talk to them. <laughs> Can you go into a little bit of what causes negative body image and how we can improve it. Yeah. So exactly like you said, a lot of our body image struggles come from the external influences of those around us, family, friends, doctors, sometimes definitely the media. Um, We have to understand that body image has really nothing to do with our body but everything to do with our beliefs about our body. So that's why you can see some people in larger bodies than others who are completely comfortable with themselves, completely confident in who they are, no body uh, body image issues whatsoever, um, because it really has nothing to do with the external appearance. It has everything to do with the internal beliefs and the mindset that you have around your body. So someone who is constantly self-loathing, constantly comparing, constantly, you know, picking at little things about themselves, their body image is going to be terrible compared to someone who's celebrating the things about themselves they really love and they really appreciate. I know that, um, again, we're going back to childhood and, and being younger and having just that susceptibility for what you're told, you know, bullying is a big source, magazine articles and social media is a huge one, right? Especially today, um, you know, luckily for me, I didn't grow up with social media until I was 
kind of old enough to know better. But, you know, these younger generations that are growing up with it from the second they can hold an electronic device, it's very influential to see all of these very photoshopped images of people that look completely perfect, right? But we have to remember that we live in a very filtered world. And so little of what we see in the media, be it standard media or social media, is actually reality. But, you know, cognitively, you don't really understand that when you're looking at the images and feeling really crappy about yourself, right? You don't sit there and like logically think, okay, yeah, this was a photoshopped image, right? Your head is like, no, it, it's real, right? And it's making me feel crappy about myself. Um, so for body image, it's so important to really make sure that you are maintaining safety in your media sources, especially, and surrounding yourself around people who have positive body image because that's another thing too we tend to uh, take on the personality traits of people that we are around so if you're constantly around people who are constantly body checking so that's either checking their own bodies or checking other people's bodies and making comments and body shaming if you're constantly around that you are going to inherently pick up those habits and do it not only to other people but to yourself so really maintaining safety in your media sources your social environment if you have family members who tend to make comments setting boundaries there as well because it's all about your own well-being. And if those negative comments are affecting you, then you need to, you know, stand up for yourself and stand up for your own body image because it's only yours because only you can actually control the thoughts in your brain. While we're on this subject, can we just talk about why mindset is so important when it comes to our body image or confidence or set, even setting goals? Yeah, mindset is everything. And that's why I really try to enforce a lot of mindset training in my coaching. Because, you know, again, we can talk about having all the knowledge in the world. But if your mind isn't on right, it doesn't matter. You know, going back to the talk about body image, it has nothing to do with your actual body, but everything to do with your beliefs and your mindset around your body. You know, if you believe that your body is beautiful no matter what size it is, then it doesn't matter what size it is. It doesn't matter if you gain or lose 50 pounds, you will still believe inherently that your body is beautiful. You know, with with anything else related to mindset, if we're talking about productivity and you're telling yourself, I have too much to do and too little time to do it, what are you going to do? You're going to feel really anxious. You're going to feel really defeated. You're going to feel, you know, very overwhelmed and you're probably not going to get a whole lot done. And then at the end of the day, you end up not getting anything done because you told yourself you weren't going to right? Our thoughts always end up in our results one way or another. We have to really think about that. So often people are like, oh, I feel X, Y, Z, right? Like I feel like, you know, I feel like I need to lose weight or I feel like I'm crazy around food or I feel like my partner's mad at me, right? But that's not actually true. Those are thoughts, right? Feelings are physical sensations in our body that are created by the thoughts that we have. So when you have a negative self-defeating thought, you're going to create a negative sensation in your body that's going to promote a negative behavior or no behavior, right? An inaction. And then that's obviously going to come out in your results. So when we're talking about any changes in your life, whether it be related to food, your body, or anything else, it all starts in your head, in your brain, 100%. I, I absolutely believe that. And, and I have a lot of people on the podcast to talk about mindset because I just understand how important it is to really life in general, everything mm -hmm. that we do. So let's talk a little bit about the difference between physical hunger and emotional hunger. 
Yeah. So physical hunger um, is exactly what it is when you're actually receiving those physical sensations of hunger in your body. So again, that looks different for everyone. Some people, it's the growling sensation. It's that hollow feeling in your stomach. Um, maybe the gurgling, right? Um, maybe your mouth is salivating or you're thinking about food a lot, right? That's physical hunger, which is your body signal that you need sustenance. That usually comes on gradually over the course of time throughout the day, right? It's not like you instantly feel hungry. Typically, when you instantly have a food craving, that's coming from emotional hunger, which is kind of the proponent to emotional eating, which is an emotional void that you're experiencing in one way or another that you're trying to fill by using food. So we have to remember that food is very emotional just by nature and the way that we're wired as human beings. So in our brains, we actually release these feel-good hormones when we eat, particularly when we eat foods that are very high in sugar. Um, that's why a lot of like carbs and high sugar foods are very, quote, addicting is because it gives us that release of serotonin and all those happy hormones. We feel really great when we eat. That's there by design, right? Because when we, when we were primitive human beings and didn't understand that we needed to eat to sustain life, right, we needed that pleasure to like keep us going back for more food right? But now we don't really need it so much. And sometimes it tends to come up in not so great ways when we have a really crappy day at the office and we're feeling stressed or when we break up with a partner, right? Or we have a fight with a friend. We turn to food to give us those releases of the happy hormone or to fill up time if we're bored or to release frustration if we're angry, right? Food can serve many purposes besides just providing our body with nourishment. So when you're feeling that kind of sudden craving for food and it's not actually brought on by physical hunger, you're more than likely trying to fill an emotional void, be it stress or boredom or depression or anxiety. It's always coming from that same place of utilizing food to feel better as a Band-Aid and like trying to numb out the negative feelings rather than dealing with them. So instead of numbing out with food as an example for the emotional mm -hmm. eating, we if we're in that place of being able to recognize that this is what's happening and can go for a walk or listen to music or do something else that's pleasurable to us, that will then take care of that emotional hunger Right. Am I on the right on the right track? Here? Yeah. So when it comes to emotional hunger, there is a couple of ways that you can go about sort of correcting that. The first way is exactly like you said, and finding a helpful distraction. So whether that be calling a friend and talking things out or going outside in nature. Yes, absolutely. A beautiful suggestion. You know, there's a lot of things that we can do in the moment to just distract ourselves from that craving of food. Other things that you can do that I actually think are much more helpful is to actually sit down and physically feel your feelings. So again, we kind of forget a lot of times that our feelings are physical sensations in our bodies and nothing more. That's all they are, right? So our emotional feelings can't actually hurt us. They're just physical sensations in our body. So when we feel anxious, you know, our brain is telling us, you feel anxious. These are the signals of anxious, anxiousness, anxiety, right? So, you know, whether that be your muscles tense up, you get sweaty, you, you know, your palms get hot or you get tight or tense, right? These are all just physical sensations in your body. They can't actually hurt you. Your brain is telling you that they're going to hurt you, right? Because we have to remember that our brains are just there to keep us alive. That's all they're there for. And they don't understand that we aren't constantly running away from tigers every five minutes, 
right? They don't understand that a uncomfortable email from our boss doesn't actually mean we're going to die, right? They're just trying to protect us by creating the feeling of anxiety so that we know something is quote wrong and we can fix it, right? But if we actually just sit for a minute and breathe and feel our feelings, they will pass, right? No feeling is permanent. And if you just sit with it for a minute and really experience the physical sensations going through you, think about them, write them down, you know, make it very, very, very active, this practice, right? The feelings will pass. They will go and so will the food urges with them more, more than likely. So really getting comfortable with that habit and getting familiar with what that feels like over time, you'll start to feel those sensations in your body and you'll be able to identify the emotion long before you actually feel it, if that makes sense. So you'll actually be able to anticipate the negative emotion so that you can kind of cut it off at the pass versus feeling so consumed by it later. Samantha, I love that. Just sit mm-hmm. right where you are and feel those mm-hmm. feelings because whether it's anger or anxiety mm-hmm. or feeling lonely even, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, food can be used as a very, very trustworthy friend because it's always there for us, right? So when you're having those feelings of loneliness, food's there for me. I can just go to the fridge. Here's my friends, right? It seems really simple and basic, but that's how our brains function. And being compassionate to that too. I think a lot of times when people eat emotionally, Again, it's that guilt and that shame and those negative feelings that are coming down. And exactly like I said, more negative emotions are coming because you ate because of negative emotions. And so you're stuck in this cycle. So really understanding how to just be compassionate with yourselves, understand that it's natural to turn to food for pleasure, and just understanding a little bit more of what that means for you in your life and how you can change that in your life. I like that you use the word um, compassion because it is, it's being kind to yourself Mm -hmm. and compassionate to yourself. Absolutely. Excellent conversation. I'm loving this. (laughs) (laughs) So how can we improve our nutrition without the diet mentality? Yeah, I love this question. I think it's so important. It's something that more people need to be aware of. um, Because again, I think that when we finally decide that dieting doesn't work for us, and we need to move on to something else, some of us feel really paralyzed, like, okay, now what, (laughs) right? Like we know how to diet. Now what? (laughs) Right? Um, And so this topic I love, Really, again, it comes back to listening to your body. Your body will always tell you what's working for you and what's not. So it's really about getting to the, into the habit of picking food choices based on how you think they will make you feel, right? Because we have to remember that that's the whole point of food is to help us function, help us to stay alive, right? So if we're choosing foods that always make us feel lethargic and heavy and bloated and constipated and whatever else, right? Those foods, it doesn't matter how many calories are in them. It doesn't matter how many grams of this are in them, right? None of that matters. It makes us feel like shit. So why are you eating it, right? You want to eat foods that make you feel light and nourished and full and sustained and energized, right? So obviously this takes a little bit of experimenting, but I think most of us know what foods are going to give us the most nutritional value. 
So the biggest piece of advice that I can give is to focus less on your macronutrients, which is your fat, your protein, your carbs, which is where most people in diet culture and just in our society in general tend to put their focus when it comes to food, you know, counting your calories and counting those macronutrients. Your macronutrients provide you with calories, which are the units of energy that keep you alive. But your micronutrients, your vitamins and minerals, those are actually the things that are going to be giving you health and making you healthy and nourished. So really capitalizing on your micronutrients is going to be the easiest way for you to make yourself feel better through your food choices. And micronutrients come in abundance in plant-based foods. So I myself am a vegan, so of course I'm a little biased there, but it's just also the fact of life our micronutrients come from the plants that grow from the earth. The only reason that they are found in animal foods is because those animals ate plants. So if you're really wanting to capitalize on your nutrition without worrying too much about the nitty gritty of nutrition, eat as many whole plant foods as you can, period. Now, I'm not a vegan, but my daughter is. Oh, great. And and how do, so how do you balance the non-diet mentality with veganism? Yeah, this is another question that I get a lot too. Um, there aren't a lot of non-diet pe- practitioners who really focus on veganism because a lot of non-diet circles see veganism as a diet. They see it as this ultra-restrictive mentality around food. And if you are pursuing veganism or any plant-based diet quote, diet, right? When I say diet in that, I'm not talking about a diet. I'm talking about a lifestyle, right? If you approach any plant-based way of eating from a health mindset, right? If you're doing it for your health, then that is a diet, right? That is something that you are doing from this place of I'm doing this to make myself healthier, right? Myself and a lot of people that I know who are able to sustain a plant-based, quote, diet for longer periods are people who are doing so because of ethical or environmental reasons. So people who are looking at these ways of life as a way to help sustain our world and sustain, you know, the life of animals who are just involved in so much cruelty. I'm not going to get into the ethical side of things, but... This is all to say that there is a way to balance your ethics around food, whether they are coming from animal cruelty or they are coming from sustainability reasons. You can balance that through your food choices without restriction. So what I mean by that is I am an ethical vegan, but I am also someone who has a very long history of very restrictive disordered eating. And so sometimes I feel those slight restrictions coming up in my life where I feel like I want or, you know, I I have this urge to eat a particular food that isn't um, a plant-based product, right? And I'm telling myself, okay, I can, it's usually cheese, right? We'll just use cheese as an example because it is usually cheese for me. I'm Italian for God's sake. So, you know, cheese was a big (laughs) one for me to give up. But like, I'll have this urge to like randomly have some cheese. And based on my dieting history, I've learned that if I tell myself, no, you can't have the cheese, right? All it's going to do is make me crave more. And instead of having one little piece, I'm going to have an entire package, right? Or whatever the case may be. And there's a lot of vegans who say, well, yeah, I I just don't look at cheese as food anymore. Well, neither do I. I really don't. But that doesn't necessarily fix the problem of all of these years of disordered patterns with my eating, right? And so it's, again, it's that compassion coming into play here. You know, when we're talking about veganism, especially, I think a lot of people have this very black and white mentality, this very holier than thou kind of approach to their veganism. And it doesn't really help, 
right? Um, again, I'm an ethical vegan. And so for me, any amount that you can reduce the animal products that you're consuming is perfect. If that means that once a year you have a piece of meat or whatever the case may be, I don't think that that makes you any less of a vegan, right? I think that that just makes you human. I think that we don't live in a vegan or plant-based world. We're getting closer. I'm loving all of these advancements that I'm seeing, especially like Taco Bell is coming out with plant-based meat and all of these things are huge, right? And this is just a, a very small image of what's to come. But right now in our current world, we don't necessarily live in a world that is plant-based friendly, especially considering where you live, right? So I've been living in Chicago for the last nine years. Very easy to find plant-based options. Um, right now, I'm currently staying with some family in Michigan. Not so many plant-based options around here, right? So again, it's about doing what you can when you can and having compassion with yourself when you don't. Now, this is all to say that, you know, I, I don't have cheese every other day. I think in the last two years, I've had cheese twice, right? But this is to say that, you know, in those moments, I give myself that compassion and understand that I'm doing the best that I can based on my own personal history with food. And that's all that matters, right? Yeah, it should only matter to us. And I think you went into this a little earlier because we are the only ones that can right. control ourselves. And you may not have used the word control, but, you know, take care of ourselves. Absolutely. Now, is it possible to pursue weight loss with a non-diet approach? So this is kind of a tricky question. Um, and this is something that I really tell people like a lot of my clients that come to me, you know, obviously they've come from long histories of wanting to lose weight. Those habits and those mindset patterns are hard to change overnight, right? So a lot of my clients who come to me, I ask them, you know, I'm not telling you to give that up. Just put it on the back burner for now, right? Repair your relationship with food, repair your relationship with your body. When you've done that, if you still want to make aesthetic changes to your body, that's a separate discussion. What I find is most of the time when you've actually resolved your food issues, resolved your body image issues, those are the only reasons that you're actually wanting to lose weight. Now, on the rare occasion that that's not the case, and maybe it's just a personal goal for you that you just really want to achieve, or, you know, you've, again, you've had a wonderful relationship with food in your body for a really long time, and you just want to take it to the next level, right? That's a different discussion. It can definitely happen. But again, it's all about making changes to serve you, not to punish you, right? So again, I, I just, my little catalyst error here, you know, if you want to make aesthetic changes to your body, I highly recommend you still go through the food and body freedom process first and not even highly recommend. I think it's required because otherwise you're going to continue the same restrict binge patterns of dieting, right? So once that's healed and you're ready to make aesthetic changes, you can do so by making small, sustainable changes in your life that will only benefit you more. So whether that's, you know, looking at your food choices and trying to eat more of those whole plant foods like I was talking about before, or looking at your movement habits and saying, okay, maybe I'm going to move my body an extra two days this week, you know, really finding ways that you can serve yourself and serve your health better more than likely the weight will follow, right? And I see this a lot with my clients, even before they get to that stage, they'll see changes happen in their body 
in the beginning, sometimes they gain weight. But then over time, once you kind of go through the process, sometimes that weight does start to naturally come off. That was the case for me and other people that I know. It's all very individual. Like I said, this is not a blanketed um, system. But the idea here is that, you know, why did the weight come off? We weren't dieting. Why did the weight come off? It came off because we started to love ourselves more. And we didn't want to feel like shit every time we ate. And we wanted to pick foods that were really providing us with nourishment. And we wanted to drink more water. And we wanted to get more sunlight. And we wanted to meditate more and relax more and reduce stress more. Right? We wanted to do all these things to take care of ourselves better. And they just so happen to result in weight loss too, sometimes. So it's just important to really make sure that you have that approach shifted where it's not weight loss as a necessity because you're overweight and it, that's a problem, but it's weight loss as a natural byproduct of just taking care of yourself better. I love everything that you're saying because I also have a long history of dieting. Mm-hmm. We all do. And <laughs> <laughs> so I love everything. And, and, and especially when you're talking about that self-care and that self-love. And when that comes into play, then the weight naturally may come off. Mm-hmm. And again, that's very individual. It depends mm-hmm. on where you are when you start, right? If you are someone who is very regularly eating past the point of comfortable fullness, right? More than likely when you mend your relationship with food, your body will be at a higher weight than it would normally be if you weren't eating past fullness. So when you start to correct that through the food and body freedom process, it levels off and that weight comes off, right? It just depends on where you are and your own circumstances. Again, this is not a blanketed system. It's very individual. So is there anything else that you, any tips that you would like to leave for the listeners? If you had to give just like the first thing you should do, this would be it. What would that be? Stop dieting. 100%. I mean, that is always my very first um, suggestion to anyone. And I know that sometimes that feels really scary, right? Like that feels a little like, again, like now what? Where do I go from here? Um, but that is, it's the first step is to recognize the damage that dieting causes and to just really believe that wholeheartedly. A lot of people have this kind of that one last diet sim- syndrome where they're like, okay, it hasn't worked all these other times, but this time, this one's different. This diet's different. It's never different, right? It's always the same crap. So really just understanding that it doesn't work. You'll diet, you'll lose the weight, the weight will come back on, you'll probably gain more weight than you did when you started, and it'll all happen all over again. So really just being okay with that and being like, okay, this doesn't work. Let me find something else that does. And a lot of times for people, that is the food and body freedom process, right? And and really learning how to reconnect with your body and not feel crazy around food, and just respect and love yourself, which is really what what dieting does is it takes away that self-love and that self-respect over over the years and just slowly erodes at your self-confidence, right? But once you give up dieting, you can actually start to rebuild all of that. Um, And if anyone wants to learn a little bit more about that, um, I've actually just uh, launched my brand new signature one-on-one coaching program, um, Restriction to Recovery, which is all about helping chronic dieters mend from all of the garbage from diet culture and all the drama takes them through that process, um, learn all about intuitive eating, mindset management, body image acceptance, how to 
you know, eat in a way that is nourishing your body without restriction, without feeling crazy. So I talk about all this in my program. And for your listeners, I'm going to be offering a very special promotion. If you DM me on social media or email me the word seasons, I will give you the first content module of my program completely for free. So you'll get to learn all about diet culture and how it's negatively affecting you. And you'll also get a 30-minute conversation with me to kind of implement those changes as well, all for free. So feel free to reach out. I'd love to talk to you. Oh, Samantha, that is so generous of you. Thank you so much. What would you tell your 18-year-old self about the season of life you're in right now? Oh, man. It's a good season. It's tough. <laughs> it's tough. So I think COVID, you know, it's it's a crazy season for all of us, right? We've all been through some really, really just some of them have been horribly devastating changes. Some of them have been good changes, but it's been a shift for all of us, right? If I could tell my 18-year-old self that I would be here, I would just be like, you know what? Sign up for the ride. Get ready for the ride because This season for me, it's such about regrowth and rebirth. You know, the whole reason that I've just launched this brand new program is because I lost my job due to COVID last year, my corporate job. And I'd been wanting to do this for a really long time and couldn't really, you know, work up the nerve. And I've had all of these trainings and all of these credentials for so many years, never did anything with it. And COVID was like, okay, it's time, do it now. Right. Um, And so I've really tried to embrace that. And you know, working with the women that I have in the last year, it's just been so wonderful. So if I could talk to my 18 year old self, I'd be like, okay, what you're going through right now, because 18 year old me was very much in the dieting days, right? I'd be like, all right, learn what you're learning, go through all this, because you're going to need it in about 15 years. (laughs) Oh, that's perfect. So tell the listeners all your social media and your website. And Thank you for this conversation. Yeah, I loved it. Um, So if anyone wants to reach out to me and take advantage of that special offer I mentioned earlier, all of my social media channels are at Samantha Hohenschel. So you can probably put it in the show notes, but it's H-O-H-E-N-S-H-I-L, Samantha Hohenschel on all social media platforms except for Twitter. I'm just Sam Hohenschel. Also on Clubhouse, I'm Sam Hohenschel as well. But you'll most commonly find me on Instagram and Facebook. Those are my two main places that I hang out. So those are both at Samantha Hohenschel. My website is also samanthahohenshell.com. So please feel free to reach out. I'd love to chat with anyone who wants to learn more about anything that I've talked about today. Well, thank you. And I will. I will put all that in the show notes. Thank you, Samantha. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on Exploring the Seasons of Life podcast. Make sure to visit our website, CynthiaMacMillan.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify, so you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you could simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out as well. Until next time, live inspired.